Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, with my permanent guest, Cami. Hey, Cami, welcome back. Thanks, Bryant. Welcome back to you as well. I needed you to come back specifically for two reasons. Okay. Uh, number one, you are a co-creator of the show, and <laughs> it, it needs you. And two, you have to finish the story of Aladdin, which is what we're doing today. Welcome. <laughs> so, Mystery, we every week grab myths, tales, legends. We give you a slice of that story, and then we like to talk about some of the history. This is part two for Aladdin, which is from the 1001, or Arabian Nights as it's known. Very uh, old collection of stories. Check out part one for the beginning of the story. This is going to conclude the story. Again, it's great. Public domain. It's there. We could do it. You can't sue us, old 9th century <laughs> merchant who told this story on a boat. We got it. But Cami's going to finish that story, and then I'm going to talk. I, I talked about a chunk of the history. I'm going to talk about some of the themes um, in there and their histories, and that'll be the show. So, Cami, hit it. Okay, again, I use the Arabian Nights. This is the Barnes & Noble Classics edition. Uh, but like Bryant said, I mean, it is available through Project Gutenberg um, and a couple of other sources. You can definitely read it for free online. So I do want to recap. So last week we heard the story of Aladdin and how he got his hands on the lamp and how he was cheated out of marriage to the woman he admired from afar. So that kind of brings us into the new story. And this part, this first part, reminds me so much of the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret, if anyone has seen that show. Yeah. It's just, he just keeps doing things and you're like, why? <laughs> why is that your decision? Yeah. But uh, spoiler alert, it works out for him <laughs> in the end. <laughs> Aladdin, alone in his room. Rub the lamp and the genie appeared. He told the genie that tonight when the prince and princess went down for sleep to transport him to his room in their bed, the genie agreed. Aladdin waited all day, and as soon as the evening had come, the, the bed miraculously appeared before him. He rubbed the lamp again and asked the genie to trap the prince all night, and Aladdin slept all night beside the princess, who was in a terrible shock. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. The next morning came and Aladdin wished the prince and princess back into their palace. So it was done. The event caused such a great drama to the prince and princess that they decided to resolve their marriage at once. The sultan wanted nothing more than a happy daughter. And so he agreed. Aladdin, hearing the news, waited the remaining time until three months had passed and sent his mother to the sultan to ask again for his daughter's hand. The sultan agreed, but only if she could have her son produce 40 gold plates filled with the jewels like the ones he had she had given him before. When Aladdin heard this news, he at once asked the lamp for, for this favor and produced 80 slaves to bring the treasure to the sultan. Thus, with this gift, the marriage went forward and Aladdin and the princess were very happy for years until the magician came from his place of hiding and sought out the boy he thought he had killed so many years ago. When he arrived in the city, he heard the name Aladdin spoken by every person in town. Everyone was so enchanted by his wealth and generosity. The magician quickly found out that Aladdin had not been murdered, but was now the prince of the region. 
The magician then realized that Aladdin must have really found the lamp and knew what magic he had used to achieve his high stature. He waited to, or he wanted to find a way to steal the possession from this hero. So he went around the city looking for merchants who sold brass lamps. He bought all that he could find and took baskets of them around town, calling out to passerby, exchange your old lamp for a new one. Soon the children of the city started to follow, mocking him. Every child in the city was following the magician and chanting at him, and the din alerted the princess, and she sent her servant to see what was going on below. The servant quickly learned that this man wanted to trade his new lamps for old ones. When the princess heard this, she asked the servant to take Aladdin's old lamp and trade it for a new one. The servant quickly did this. Lamp stop. <laughs> right. <laughs> The magician was thrilled to trade the lamp. As soon as he had, uh, as soon as he had it, he ran off and dropped the other lamps he was carrying. When he was alone, he rubbed it, and the genie appeared. He told the genie to move Aladdin's palace and all the people in it to his home country. Immediately, it was done. The sultan saw the the palace disappear and thought he was going mad. He called a council, and everyone agreed that the palace was gone. They decided to send an order to arrest Aladdin, who was off on a hunting trip, and bring him to the city center to have him beheaded. But when Aladdin was brought before the sultan, the entire city, who loved him so much for his generosity, formed a mob and were ready to behead the sultan himself. He dared, if he dared, harden the hero. The sultan said he excused Aladdin of his crimes, but he issued a, warn a warning. Aladdin had one month to find his daughter and return her, or he would be beheaded. Aladdin quickly began his search for his wife. He found out about the magician's trickery and began to search for any clue of where the man would have brought his wife, but he could not find anything to point to their location. He was ready to throw himself into the sea when he raised his hands to pray and he rubbed the ring on his finger like he had done so many years ago. The genie appeared and Aladdin asked him to take him to the palace where the magician took, it, took his wife. Soon he was asked, or soon he was taken to a very remote part of Africa standing in front of his palace. He called for his wife who came to the window. She told him the story of the lamp and how the magician used it to carry them away and then how he was trying to make her his wife and win her over. Aladdin knew he must act quickly. He told his wife that he would look different when he came back, but she must have a, ser a servant let him in even though he would be dressed in rags. She agreed. Aladdin went into town, and on his way, he passed a beggar. He asked the man to trade, the trade his clothes, and he quickly agreed. Then Aladdin found the city apothecary. He asked for a strong powder, and he heard about his or he had heard about his dealings with, in his own country, the apothecary did not believe that a man dressed in such rags could possibly have the money to pay for such a powder, but he agreed to tell him about its effects. Aladdin assured him that he could pay for it, and he handed the man several gold pieces. Now that Aladdin had his powder, he made haste back to the palace. The servants let him in as requested, and brought the vial back to his wife. He told her that she must accept the magician's advances today, even though she loathed him. She must ask him, ask him to dine with her and act as if he is the only man she wants as her husband. After she has tricked him into having a meal with her, she must ask for the best wine in the region. And when he goes to retrieve it, she would put the powder in her own glass and then switch glasses with him as a sign of affection. She agreed to everything, and Aladdin went to hide. 
The magician came back and the princess doted on him and invited, invited him to dine with her. He couldn't believe the turn of luck he had had. So he agreed and went to get changed for dinner. The princess ordered the best meal she could think of from her kitchen. And when the magician returned, the meal before him impressed him even more. They ate and laughed and talked. And when they were done, she asked for him to bring her the best wine from this region. He quickly went out to retrieve it. In the meantime, the princess did as Aladdin told her and put the powder in her own goblet. When the magician returned, she made a big show of switching the glasses, saying it was how lovers showed affection in her region. The magician fell for it, and he drank his full glass of wine. He began to shake and tumbled onto the floor, dead. Aladdin came out of hiding and grabbed the lamp from the man's robes and rubbed it. The genie took them back to China with their palace, and the sultan praised Aladdin for bringing back his daughter. Very nice. Yeah, it all worked out in the end. I can see the Disney already, right? <laughs> uh, Say that again? There's even more to this story. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's pretty long, yeah. It's very long, yeah. Mm -hmm. The magicians, the magician had a brother who came looking for him, and then Aladdin had to deal with that as well. That's I didn't really find cool. it super... Uh, important to our yeah. story because it, it seemed to just kind of drag it on a little bit but yeah I, I had when when sometimes i make a mental note while recording while you're speaking to remind myself so i stick my finger up you can't see it i have it over here and my <laughs> mental note this time was when you talked about how they they wanted to behead aladdin after the his palace disappeared is the first thought i had was well now you know uh it's proven a french guy wrote this am i right <laughs> hey 1700s France. So um, I went. I went to a good bit here, uh, or about last time. The, the one thing I didn't mention last time that I meant to was um, the 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 adaptations. One, my sources too. I'll mention that. I'm, I, I've included them in the notes last week, though. But um, Wikipedia and a few other things mention. I mean, you can't Google it and not see it. Is the adaptations for this show went crazy? Um, pantomimes uh, and musical comedy uh, or stage comedies were were huge um and it was it, it, disney in italy in the uh 1900s uh actually started like using that open sesame term tons of stage productions i mean this thing really started coming out there in the 19th century though um it just it just blew up and i, I really can't stress how the 1001 nights really took over in europe like storm i mean it, it's such a, a a strong focal point of rich culture i mean I, when you especially you i linked the 1914 uh edition that was released in america um these stories are very much products of their times very insensitive but it is it's a wonderful way to kind of grasp the setting the mindset and then that we talked about historicity sort of how history historians write and this is a great way to see that too because it's sort of like what was it like to be a in you know industrial post-industrial era getting into the modern era european a western a learned western person looking at a, a completely kind of unknown land in a way and a very important land and i'll mention so there's two big kind of things in aladdin um the magic lamp and the magic ring and only in the disney film is there a magic carpet but all three of these things are kind of related and they go to what I mentioned before in Arabic folklore, also old Jewish folklore in a, a connection to King Solomon. And this is going to the old Testament. So it's, it's, it's Christian um, folklore in a way too. 
it's really important there. So I actually, what really helped me was um, there's a the website Stack Exchange, kind of like Reddit in a way. Um, a user, uh, Dolda2000, posted in 2014. They actually kind of asked, like, the, they, they asked for the etymological or cultural roots of the lamp and the genie. And um, another user um, called to Voyage uh, provided a great answer. And from uh, a book from uh, Rosemary Guiley, the Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology. So they quoted the book. I'll talk, I'll, I'll read what they quoted. So um, King Solomon used a magic ring to control jinn and protect him from them. The ring was set with a gem, probably a diamond, that had a living force of its own. With this ring, Solomon branded the necks of jinn as his servants. Uh, one story tells that a jealous jinn, sometimes identified as Asmodeus, which that's an old name, stole the ring while Solomon bathed in the River Jordan. The jinn seated himself on the Solomon's throne at his palace and reigned over his kingdom, forcing Solomon to become a wanderer. God compelled the jinn to throw the ring in the sea. Solomon retrieved it and punished the jinn by imprisoning him in a bottle. So there's two things of binding the jinn, controlling the jinn, the jinn uh, being subservient. I again, these stories were probably... They probably were very ingrained in local cultures, but I mentioned before, and uh, it's actually in the notes for the 1914 thing. I, I didn't read this last time. Uh, I'll, I'll quote the 1914 Arabian Nights Entertainments book. So we're one of the first publishings of this in America. Um, Muslims delight in stories, but are generally ashamed to show interest in fiction. That was actually in the beginning notes of this 1914 piece. So I guess it was just this known thing that in the Arabic world, West Asia in general, fiction just wasn't highly sought of since the Middle Ages. But of course, I'm sure there, obviously there's going to be local legends. Um, jinn, we, we actually, I did not, I don't think I mentioned our episode on Sahir, which is the Arabic word for sort of like black magic and jinn are very much a part of that. We did an episode on that. It was an awesome uh, response from uh, my friend Rashid. Um, the 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 jinn the, the idea uh, it's it's like modern like voodoo in a way um so these these stories are very like jinn this whole concept is is very prevalent and and obviously if we're talking about king solomon we're we're going we're going biblical 10th century is what we're talking about fun thing too solomon the arabic uh like name is suleiman which is a very, very common name, especially through history. I'm, of course, like blanking on it. I, civilization, revolution, there's a Suleiman who's a, or a, a, one of the guys you can play as who, who leads the um, like Arab-based empires. It's really cool. But uh, another big thing was the magic carpet. And ancientorigins.net actually has a big write-up on this. I love them. Um, King Solomon of Israel is the earliest known historical figure to be associated with magic carpets. So again, we've got rings, we've got this magic carpet, and he 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 bound a a gin in a bottle. So um, there's uh, two versions of the story of, of King Solomon. Um, one is said to have been written in the 13th century A.D. Um, a Jewish Jewish scholar by the name of Isaac Ben Sherera. Uh, this story is claimed to have been compiled from two ancient works that have since been lost. So again, it wasn't created in the 13th century. It was just compiled in the medieval era. So these stories were, these ideas were obviously floating around and were very important. Um, another thing uh, it, where there's a magic cloth uh, is relates to a second century BC uh, Parthian king, Phrates II in 130 BC. It's said that he engaged in war with Anti uh, Antiochus VII, the ruler of the Seleucid Empire, and he apparently flies over the Zagros Mountains on a carpet or a piece of cloth 
confronts the enemy, which he's destroying them with fire and lightning. That's kind of cheating, bro. Not cool. Um, <laughs> Frades was given a triumphant reception when he returned. And are you sure it wasn't fear? <laughs> anyway, um, and then there was another story of a third century AD Sasanian ruler Shapur um, is said to have uh, snuck into a Roman army uh, camp one night and surprised the emperor Valerian and abducted him. Can you imagine your emperor flying away from you on a carpet? What what century has to explain that? Like, why is the emperor missing? Like, it was a fucking carpet. I don't know what, what am I going to do? I don't get paid for this. I don't get paid, really. Anyway, um, so the the magic carpets, the gin, all of this has uh, has a, a clear precedent, and there's even a famous story, which I, I don't know if I want to say too much. I don't really have too much on it, but this could definitely be an episode. Called there's an old story called the Fisherman and the Gin, and if you actually watched the Witcher uh, Netflix series, there's actually a whole episode where the, it's basically based on this, um, where a, a fisherman basically encounters a gin that's that's trapped in a jar. I'll kind of leave it at that because I really want to revisit that later. But it, I it feel is like there's oh, another – I'd never watched The Witcher, but I feel like there's mm -hmm. another show that maybe Xena or something that, that – Oh, yeah, absolutely. I could totally that, see yeah. that. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. Um, yeah, it, it's really cool. That That's essentially what I've got. Like, like I mentioned before, Aladdin is just kind of crazy because it, it wasn't really – it was a known story. Antoine Galland got it from a Syrian um, – not even a, a, a storyteller. Um, they were – or uh, like anyone sort of um, famous, if I remember correctly, but but Antoine Galland kind of made it famous. It was a cool enough story, and and he included it in his translation, and then it just absolutely skyrocketed after uh, Galland uh, translated and then introduced it to the Western world, and and it's just been there ever since. And like many of the stories from Arabian Nights or One Thousand and One Nights, they they all are probably much older than they were. Um, then they were set, I should say. Almost all of them are set in the center of the period where they started being modernly recounted and written down. So they, they're set in the modern uh, or medieval era, which was modern when they were sort of writing it down and getting it down. And uh, Galan got a 16th century manuscript, um, which was probably a copy of some medieval thing. But again, these uh, one kind of thing that stops us from really understanding them is that they weren't treasure. They were fiction. They were stories for women and children. So get them out of here. <laughs> but nonetheless, super cool, especially when you see the the religious uh, connection that is so deeply rooted. The, the the culture, the religious culture that's that's tied in with jinn enchantments, things like that. So very cool, very medieval. Again, we've got nine ninety eight more to go. We got plenty of podcast material, y'all. We're going to keep this going. But if we do two for every one, that's 2002. Well, I think there were supposed – weren't there supposed to be like – it's like 500 stories. It's because it's a 1,001 nights, so that's a 1,000 nights. And then the last night is them coming together and, you know, he, he accepts her. That might be it, yeah. yeah so there's you, only you, 500 stories. That's but right, there will yeah. be a thousand one episodes. Nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll do them all. Don't worry. Yep. We're going to nail it. For the women me. and children that listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for all the women and children that can listen to this, um, everyone else is too busy doing alchemy or something like that. Got to <laughs> stay busy. Well, everyone, uh, if you did 
enjoy the show, please let us know if if you have any suggestions, let us know as well. Mystery with an IE, all one word, Facebook, Gmail, Instagram, Twitter, mystery.threadless.com. Is that the right order? Yes, you got it. Beautiful. It's a good day. Um, we really hope you've been enjoying the show. It's been great for Cammy and I. We've been working with Cody for popular with popular opinion on his YouTube show. He's a great enigmatic personality. We've been doing some cryptid and uh, like myth based um, episodes with him since they have a pop line for those. So like a little mini episode with him chiming in and showing off some cool stuff. So please check those out if you can. Uh, let us know if you have any suggestions for shows. We've got a bunch lined up. We're really happy. Cammy and I've been on it lately. It's it's been good. Yeah. We're proud of ourselves. So I think that covers it, Cammy. Thanks again for your rendition of Aladdin. Uh, it was great. Thank you. I hope I didn't cut too much out. No, it's good. <laughs> the story was good. so long. I covered it in the direct. It was like 120 DVD pages, movies, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, they they probably covered the rest of it in the Disney's the two sequels that were direct to DVD, which were surely good, absolutely, right? Oh, I'm sure they covered it there, and they were excellent. Yeah, not old timey racist at all. So <laughs> old timey, old timey, like old timey. It was like nineties. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, we will see you next time. Oh. oh.